The presenting partner of Sober Stories is Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits. That's Liars as an L-Y-R-E, like the Australian lyre bird, which can mimic just about any sound. Like that fancy Aussie bird, Liars was created to replicate and replicate well as many different alcoholic spirits as possible, allowing us to drink our way. Now that the sun is shining and the birds are chirping, plan ahead for your next spring barbecue by packing a cooler of spectacularly crafted non-alcoholic cocktails to have in hand when they ask you what you'd like to drink. Liars has your sunshine days covered with their pre-mixed beverage line. They're easy, festive, and made for this season. With five different opportunities for celebration, the Classico's our favorite, Liars canned selections are the Sober Stories team's go-to for fresh alcoholic-free sips. Head over to Liars.com and use code SOBERSTORIES1010, that's the number 10, the word 10, for 10% off your purchase. Liars gives you the freedom to drink your way, to not just provide an alternative to those who don't wish to imbibe alcohol, but to ensure that everyone can enjoy the mirth and the merriment of a soiree or shindig. Welcome to Sober Stories, a podcast dedicated to the power and change that can come from really, really great storytelling. We believe that stories are a massively transformational medium. When we can see ourselves in someone's story, when we share our own story, that's when the magic happens. Here, we tell stories of folks all across the sober spectrum with hope, honesty, inspiration, and probably a few sparkling water jokes. I'm your host, Beth Bowen, and it's a huge honor to be Chief Story Steward around here. With our guests, we pull back the curtain on the good, the bad, and sometimes the downright ugly of what it looks like to ditch the booze, changing the world one podcast episode at a time. Y'all ready? How's it going, Sober Stories crew? Thanks for tuning into another episode of our show. It's hard to believe that we are almost one month old over here, but we wanted to say a quick thank you to everyone who's taken a moment to say a kind word about the storytelling or share a post or tell a friend. It really has meant the world to us. I've got a really exciting conversation for you today. I had the opportunity to interview Tori Felder of The Retired Party Girl. Tori is founder of The Retired Party Girl Community, or RPG, where their mission is to empower people to question their relationship with alcohol and to live a life they feel proud of. They're changing the way society views sobriety by making recovery and wellness spaces joyful, fun, social, and empowering. Tori and I dug into some really great topics like what it's been like to fall in love in sobriety and Tori's experience having a slip last year. After you give today's episode a listen, tag Tori and let us know what your biggest takeaway was. Here we go. All right, my friends, I have a great conversation for you today. I am so excited to welcome Tori Felder of The Retired Party Girl to our podcast today. Tori, welcome to our conversation. Thank you so much, Beth. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Well, give us the story of you, who you are, where you are, what you do, kind of the high notes so our audience can learn more about who you are. Sure. Yeah. So um, my name is Tori Felder. I am in Seattle, Washington. I got involved in the sober community two years ago now, which just sounds insane to Mm. even say out loud. Um, I started questioning my relationship with drinking way before that. So probably 2017, 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, But the only community that I knew to get sober was AA, right? And nothing wrong with AA, but I just didn't really feel like being a 20 something year old woman um, and going Mm -hmm. to AA meetings was my thing. Mm -hmm. And all of my friends partied. Um, That's what we did on the weekends. And I didn't know another way to be. And so I ended up drinking again, Again, questioning my relationship with alcohol in 2019 winter and went for it and started posting on my personal Instagram saying, hey, guys, I'm two weeks sober. This is how I'm feeling. And Retired Party Girl organically grew to be this community 
I had a really, really good friend from um, childhood who was doing website design. And she just oh, said, Oh, yeah, that's how you know Hannah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout, Shout out to me. Hannah. Yeah. Did she do yours too? No, but I, she oh. and I have been acquaintances okay. for a long time. Yeah. So um, we're friends from childhood. So she actually saw my drinking um, firsthand. Um, and a backstory about that is my mom is an alcoholic and I mm. grew up in an alcoholic household. And so she actually saw that too. There's very few mm. people from my childhood who actually saw my mom's alcoholism and kind of what I was dealing with at home. Um, so she was like, let me put together a website for you. This community is growing. And I was like, yes, let's do it. And then here we are two years later with over 700 people have signed up for the entire party world. Um, we've hosted events in LA, um, Seattle, Houston, Denver, um, and I can't even count how many virtual events and meetings that we've done. And it's just been literally a dream come true and a dream I never dreamt. Mm. So it's a dream come true, but it was something that I could never have even even imagined. Um, so through all of that, I've grown a lot. Um, I'm getting my master's right now in child and adolescent psychology. And I graduate in four months and like 20 something days. I have a countdown going on my phone because I'm like, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. Um, if anyone's listening to this and is in grad school, bless your heart. Um, mm-hmm. It is. I just want to hug everyone who's in grad school and just be like, I know what you're going through and like mm-hmm. rub their back. Um, yeah. So I'm hoping to get my license, mental health counselor license and maybe incorporate that into retired party yeah. girl in some way. Yeah, Beautiful. Snapshot. 20 days. You can do that. I, man, I am far enough removed from grad school that I feel like I don't feel it in my body too much, but for the longest time you could just like mention writing a research paper and I would go into like a full on panic. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. And people, I mean, I don't know people who get their PhD. I have the utmost respect for. I just so have much no desire. I know I had no desire. I was like, I, I got done. that cap. Yeah. I got that cap and gown. I was out of there, uh, got my license and called it a day. Well, that exactly. is just, you know, I really, really love what you're doing over at retired pretty girl. And the space you're opening for people who don't fit into those traditional boxes and are young and want these vibrant lives of being able to feel like they're living it to the fullest and not feeling like they're missing out and and realizing that there's a lot of good that can come from this. And I remember y'all did a meetup. I think it was the Denver one. And I saw there were tattoos there and everybody got like the matching butterfly tattoos. I was like, oh, I'm having extreme FOMO right now. That is oh, I wish you so gone. cool. Yeah. <laughs> Next time. Yeah. Next time. We'll do we'll do an Austin one and, and we can yes. we can talk about that. But For you know, sure. I think that your story is gonna resonate with a lot of people of realizing like this this thing that we're doing and this the substance we're drinking is is so normal and partying is so ubiquitous and we we have really just glamorized alcohol use and and I know one of the missions that you're doing there at Retired Party Girl is to glamorize sobriety and make this feel exciting and feel good. So how did you land on that kind of mission statement, that kind of mission for what y'all are doing over there? Yeah, I feel really lucky because like I said, the community happened organically and this mission statement happened organically because I was surrounding myself with 
women who were my age and we wanted to do fun stuff and we Mm. wanted to go out and do things that people who were drinking were doing. And we wanted to be spontaneous and get tattoos and get matching tattoos. And we wanted to dance and we wanted to do the things that we did before, but we didn't want to feel hungover. Mm. We didn't want to feel anxiety. We didn't want to feel like shit about ourselves for sleeping with someone we didn't actually want to sleep with. We didn't want to have regret, but we still wanted to feel free. We still wanted to feel young. We still wanted to kiss people and mm-hmm. hook up and just have all of our, our wits about us um, during it. And I think one of the biggest milestones was going to Vegas. I went to Vegas mm-hmm. for a friend's birthday with a group of all sober women. Oh my God. How did that go? It went so wonderfully. I was actually just reminiscing today on um, my stories about it and sent it to a friend that I went with. and. I think it's so hard to wrap your mind around doing something like that sober until you do it. And then you understand like, oh, I actually get more from this experience Mm. when I'm sober. Like I remember all of the songs that the person played at the show I went to. Mm -hmm. I come back looking pretty similar to how I looked when I left, you know, like I have both of my shoes, I have my wallet, I have everything. And then the thing about, you know, being free. And if you're single and, you know, wanting to kiss boys and dance Mm -hmm. with people and and whatever is like, you, you know, if you actually want to do that with that person, um, Mm. you have all of your inhibitions, um, and everything you do is, is really intentional and you wake up feeling really, really proud of yourself. Um, and really the other part is I felt closer to all the women Mm -hmm. that I went with. We didn't have a drunk fun time. Mm -hmm. We didn't have, forced vulnerability. Hmm. We had real vulnerability and a uh, real connection that was based on nothing except for who we truly are. Um, and so we came back from that trip feeling really connected. And that's just an example of mm-hmm. one of the things that I've done that have shown me that I can be young and free and wild and fun and spontaneous and not drink. Well, I think what you said about you, you can't imagine it until you do it. You can't imagine doing this first and you can't imagine tackling a big thing that you used to do with Alcohol Incorporated until you do it. And then you realize it it probably wasn't as bad as we expect it to be. And we have so much of a dulled version of it in our heads from all the times we did it with alcohol and the way it really dulled our processing and dulled our experiencing. And so it's almost like sometimes – it can feel overwhelming to to step into something new and realize, oh, I'm going to feel all of this. Tell me, were all of the women in the group, um, what was kind of like the sober vibe? Were they people who never drank or were they people who drank and quit? Or mm, That's a really good question. I'm glad you mentioned that. I think everyone had their own different relationship with alcohol. I think there's some people in the group who were like, yeah, you know, it just wasn't my thing. There's some people in the group who had horrible things happen to them, whether mm-hmm. it's getting in trouble with the law or really putting their life at risk because of drinking. Um, and, and that's true for the entire RPG community is we have some people who it's just like, I didn't like it. And I want to hang out with some sober people who don't put drinking as the focus of our social gatherings. Um, and then there's some people who are like, I literally cannot drink because I will die and, and my life will go down into a hole very quickly. Um, yeah, so I'm like spectrum. one of those people too. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. but I, yeah. I, 
think it's so incredible that spaces like RPG are opening up where it is an option. It is just an option to say, I'm young, I'm fun, and this isn't working for me, or this doesn't make me feel good, or this doesn't serve my mental health. And I'm opting out, but I want other people who understand that. I want other people who can create this experience with me and I can connect with in a really intimate way. But like, we just don't even have alcohol at the forefront. It's just not even part of the conversation. Totally. And that makes it so much easier when you're coming into a social event, not having to fight that, not having to say, oh, I don't drink. And someone says, why? And then you have to go through this whole, you know, whether you want to lie and say, oh, we're trying to get pregnant or, oh, I'm on a cleanse or Mm -hmm. all these different reasons that people give because they feel like they have to. It's been so freeing to have these social events where there's no alcohol in the house. There's Mm. no question if you're drinking or whether or not, um, or why, why you're mm-hmm. not drinking. Or if you're pregnant. I mean, how or many if you're times? Pregnant. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. How many so, times have we all heard that? <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Like, oh, you're not drinking. Are you pregnant? And I've mm-hmm. actually even done that mm-hmm. to people like when yeah. they're not drinking family members um, that I know usually drink. I'm like, oh, you're not drinking. Are you pregnant? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's even ingrained in me after all mm-hmm. the work I've done to kind mm-hmm. of combat that. So, you know, I think that's a really good point though, because I, I think as you said that, I could think of experiences where I've done that too. And also on the the flip side of it, of knowing so many women who have struggled to conceive, who wanted to conceive and how careful I am about talking about pregnancy in general and to think that like we still, our first thought is somebody's not drinking, so they must be pregnant. And it's such a sensitive topic. But you know, one of the things that you talked about is doing these really fun things. And a question I get all the time from the people who I work with is they're quitting drinking. They're like, well, what do I do now? Like, what do I do for fun? What do I do for excitement? Like, what am I going to do if I am not drinking? And what I see on your page, and and you have a reel that is coming to mind right now, but it was kind of a a montage of, I think you were on a bike and doing all these fun things. And it's, I I think one of the, the feels that I get from your community is really, let me show you how beautiful this can be and how fun it can be and and how there really is this life outside of it. And so I I think that that's just one of the really important spaces that you hold in our community and that it really just makes it look appealing and and glamorizes it. Yeah. And I want to be careful about that too um, Hmm. because Instagram, I try to be as real as possible, but Instagram is a highlight reel. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you put together a montage of the last three months and it's like a few fun things that you did, (laughs) it looks great, you know? And that is the point. The the point is to say that I've had wonderful times without alcohol. And I will say my best day sober is so much better than my best day drunk. Mm. That will always be true. But I do want to be careful because there are times when it isn't fun and it is really hard or I'm around the wrong people or I'm in the wrong environment. And I'm like, man, I really want to drink and Mm. this sucks. And Mm. a story is coming to mind. My friend, this was actually very early on in my sobriety. My friend had a birthday party at a winery and I decided that I was going to go because we all had to drive out of town to go. And I actually bought or brought my own bottle of free wine, the Mm alcohol-free wine at the party. And I left it in the car because I didn't know if they were going to let me have it at the winery. And we all sat down and I just started crying. And I got up and went to the parking lot because I didn't want to like 
cause a big scene mm-hmm. and it's my friend's birthday. And I just was in the parking lot crying and I was so defeated and I really it was such a beautiful day. And the thought of having wine was just so nice and so tempting. And then I got it together and I got my free wine from the car and I brought it down and it was so nice. The lady was like, oh, we can give you a bucket and everything. So she got mm-hmm. me a bucket of ice and she got me a glass and um, within three hours, two hours even, I was so glad that I wasn't drinking because things started to get a little bit messy and you know, <laughs> everyone felt horrible and had anxiety the next morning and I was up drinking coffee and mm-hmm. you know, kind of fluttering around the house. And um, But that is to say that there's there's ups and there's and there's downs. And I love this idea of romanticizing sobriety because it's intentional, not mm-hmm. because it's naturally romantic, but because I oftentimes have to sit down and think what was lush about mm. my day? Like, did I catch the sunset? Did I get to take a long bath? Did I get to snuggle with my dog extra long? Um <laughs> You know, like these little things. Did I get to take a hot shower? Like, Mm. it's not that sobriety is naturally romantic. It's that we have to be intentional about romanticizing it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I I I see that thought and that intention. um, You know, people post on TikTok like romanticizing my day and just the little things that we can pinpoint and and the the extra dog snuggles really resonate with me right now because I we've have a new rescue who I'm kind of oh, obsessed with. Yeah, his name's Dawson. He's the best. But you know, I think that that's a a perfect next step because because what I was going to say in in conjunction with that is that you do such a beautiful job of of romanticizing this of glamorizing this, but you're also really real on your page. And one of the things you shared not too long ago was your experience having a slip with alcohol and using alcohol again. And I remember seeing the post and it just was so raw and real and like I'm gonna get a little like emotional thinking about it because it just really was really impactful. And I think that the balance of here's what's so beautiful about it. And here's also the reality of sometimes when it's really hard is it's a really important one to draw in this space. Do you, can you tell us any more about that experience for you? Yeah, I think a lot of people can resonate with this. So I think we drink either to numb or to enhance something. Um, Hmm. Although I'm biased, I don't really think it enhances anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got into a new relationship um, during that time, and I was really feeling strongly towards this person. I still do. <laughs> um, <laughs> and my instinct was to either enhance what I was feeling because it felt really good or to numb what I was feeling because I was really scared. Um, and so, and then he came in not really knowing my history. Um, Mm. I met him through a dating app. And so he doesn't know any of my old friends. He didn't meet, like he has no connection to my life prior to him. Mm. And so I was really able to kind of manipulate the situation um, when he was like, oh, you know, you're drinking. And I was like, oh yeah, it's totally fine. I've, Mm. you know, I've learned to moderate. Um, And, and so he didn't really feel like he had a say in it. He's like, oh, you know, she must have it under control. I don't know. He didn't Mm -hmm. see me before. He doesn't know party girl, Tori. And I really wanted to believe I had it under control. Like I, mm. it's alcohol is so tricky because I felt like I had done all this work and I've read every quitlet and I had talked to all these 
wonderful sober people in the community who had the best advice and I'd been giving advice and leading a community of people for over a year. And I was like, oh, I, you know, like, I think I know enough. I, I think I got mm. this. And then you don't got it. Mm. So it just, it tricks you in that way. And instead of romanticizing my sobriety, I started romanticizing drinking. And yeah. it's a slow process for me anyway. I don't know if it's the same for everyone. I think everyone has a different experience. But I slowly started romanticizing um, drinking mm -hmm. and very quickly began blacking out again. Mm -hmm. very quickly and would wake up and kind of just want to forget that I blacked out. Like I, I wouldn't bring it up. I wouldn't talk about it. I think my partner was a little bit weary of bringing it up also. Mm -hmm. um, he didn't know how I was going to react. And again, he didn't really understand my past. So that went on for a while. And I was honest with a few close people. Mm -hmm. And one of my best friends, Jamie, who I met through Retired Party Girl mm -hmm. and who was on that Vegas trip with me and who was on the Denver trip with me. I try to take her with me everywhere. Um, <laughs> we were on the phone one morning after I had had another blackout and I just started crying. And she said, I feel like you're hiding. Um, <sighs> and that was really powerful because it was absolutely true. My natural state is to be sharing. Like mm -hmm. I've always loved to share. I've always loved to lead community. Um, I love connecting people like my natural state. And when I'm healthy, I'm out there, you'll see yeah. me. And when I'm sick or I'm not doing well, um, mentally or emotionally is when I isolate. And so when she said you're hiding, I couldn't deny that she was absolutely right. That I was hiding. Um, and so I, I kind of told her the full story that I had been blacking out for a while. Mm. Um, and then she said, you need to tell your partner mm -hmm. that this is more serious. And she was right. And so he was actually, I think he was at like a baby shower or something that day, like a co-ed baby shower of someone I didn't know. And, and then mm -hmm. he, he came back and I was a mess, eyes swollen, hair wet from the shower in one of his big t-shirts. And I said, we need to talk. And we went on a walk with my dog. And I just said, I want to let you know that my drinking problem is more serious than I bled on. Hmm. And that was really hard. Um, one, because I had to be vulnerable. Um, and anyone who has adverse childhood experiences or any type of history with abandonment or anything, it's really tough to mm -hmm. be vulnerable. Um, I was afraid on a deep level that he was going to be like, this. think this bitch is crazy, you know? Um, so on one level, I was, I was afraid of the vulnerability. I was also afraid that I couldn't go back hmm. after I had said it, I wouldn't be able to manipulate the situation oh, anymore. Yeah. And I knew that. And that's why I'd waited so long to say it. And, you know, he, he has family history on his own. Um, and he's, he's no stranger to addiction in, in any way. And it's actually weird that I'm using that word. I never really used to use the word addiction hmm. until this last slip up because it didn't really feel like me. Um, and you know, he was grace gracious and everything. And he just said, okay. And I said, this is a serious problem that I have mm -hmm. that I can't really handle on mm -hmm. my own. And that was also the first time I admitted it, even though I had been sober for a year prior, 
I kind of framed it as my choice Mm because essentially it was no one was telling me to do it. I hadn't messed up my life in any real significant way. Um, No one, I didn't have a single friend who thought, you know, she should stop drinking so much. We all were drinking that much. Mm -hmm. And then I had created RPG and created these friendships where no one in my life drank Mm -hmm. and everyone knew me as the sober version of myself. And then, so when I started to veer off and hide, everyone was like, "Mm, where are you going? (laughs) This isn't right. Um, And so now I have the reframe that this is a serious issue, um, Mm. something deep within me that I have very little, if any, control over. Mm -hmm. You know, and I I think what you said about how easy it is and and the slow progression of starting to romanticize it really resonates with me because I had a similar experience in about 550 days into being completely abstinent from alcohol. I started to get rosy about it and started to think, you know, maybe I can moderate and maybe since I have this distance, my tolerance is different and I can go back to normal drinking, quote unquote, and immediately was up to my old tricks and and did the old things and broke every single rule that I set out for myself. But the the idea of how slowly it creeped up was oh yeah really that really resonated with me because I think that it's just one little thought after another that we start to think maybe it wasn't that bad or maybe I've changed or maybe my brain chemistry has changed or I say we have changed of course we've changed but we really start to think that our lived experience of of what brought us to quit in the first place is maybe not real yeah. or true or valid or has changed. And I think there are some people out there who that might be true for. And, and I know that there are a lot of people who that isn't true for. And that when you talk about this, like, I know that this is a serious thing and I know that there's something that makes it to where this can't be part of my life. I really feel that. Like I feel that here in my chest because I I feel very similarly. But one of the things that really stuck out to me is talking about this experience in your relationship and the fear of saying this out loud and making it finally real and making it something that requires action and requires something to change. I think a lot of people are going to hear and be like, oh, yep, I know that feeling. So Tell us what it looked like after you put this out there with him and it it became a real thing. Yeah. I think when you were saying that, I just thought it goes from denial to like actually looking at yourself in the mirror. And that is what sobriety is essentially, Mm -hmm. is you have to show up and look at yourself every single day. Um, And quickly before I answer your question, I just thought about how even though when you stop drinking, you know, some of your problems will definitely go away because drinking was the catalyst for a lot. (laughs) But all these other things pop up and you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, now I have to face all of these things. And so Mm -hmm. I think in so many ways, sobriety is just facing yourself. It's a really brave thing Mm -hmm. and honorable thing to do. And a lot of people never do it. So to be honest, we're still struggling with how to navigate my sobriety while he drinks. Hmm. Um, We just went to a wedding last week and it was his best friend's wedding. And we had a talk, you know, the night before about 
what I'm going to do. And I had gone to um, Total Wine, which is like an alcohol store. And yeah. I got Red Bull and I got alcohol-free beer. That was gross. I didn't like it. <laughs> but I didn't know. I liked the can. Um, and I got like this huge box of stuff to bring to our Airbnb so that I would be prepared. And I actually told this story on my stories um, earlier this week, but I'll tell it again is we get to Friday Harbor and we sit down for lunch and I kind of sigh and he goes, are you having a hard time? Mm. And I was like, yes. And I order a ginger beer and I was like, you can order a beer. It's fine. I know that you would normally, he likes to try different beers. If there's like a Friday Harbor beer that mm-hmm. you probably wanted to try. Um, and then he ordered a ginger beer too. And I was like, Hey, you didn't have to do that, but it was really helpful. Mm-hmm. And then we are walking around, we get into this store and there's a crystal it's amethyst. And I look down at the description of the amethyst and it says for sobriety. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, look at the universe, like mm-hmm. just sending me all these like wonderful signs. And so we kind of, I don't know if this is a real thing. I hope no one's offended by this, but you can like <laughs> charge it or whatever. So we like held on to it. We didn't want to actually buy the crystal, but we like held on to it mm-hmm. really tight you know, mm-hmm. to give me strength or whatever and kind of made a joke out of it. And then, which was fun and playful. And then later that night was the rehearsal dinner and everyone was drinking and the wedding party had to go outside. And I sat next to this older lady, probably 55 to 65 years old. And we start talking and she's sober and she's been sober mm-hmm. for years and years and years. And she said, that when she became a mom, she adopted some children from Ethiopia. And she said, when I became a mom, I just knew how can I do this and be a mom at the same time? Hmm. And that struck me too, because my mom is an alcoholic. And and to be honest, she couldn't be a mom and drink at the same time. Hmm. Um, I'm not saying no one can, but yeah. uh, my childhood was definitely impacted by my mom's alcoholism in a negative way. And then we continue talking and she told me this really beautiful analogy. She said that there is this really expensive violin and it's like a million dollars to make. It's called like a Stradivus or something. Oh yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I might be pronouncing it completely wrong, but the message remains. So it's this very expensive violin. It's like a million dollars to make and only certain people know how to play it. Right. It's like super rare. And she asked me if I would use this beautiful instrument to hammer down a nail. And I was Mm. like, no. And she said, okay, so while the violin could be the instrument to hammer down the nail, it doesn't mean we're going to use it for that. And she said, your body is an instrument that is made Mm. for so much more than drinking. Um, It's destined to do so much more. It's destined to produce something beautiful. Mm. Um, And it it essentially is, is a beautiful instrument that we can use however we'd like. Mm. So that was really special. I ended up crying. My partner came back <laughs> inside from the wedding party practicing outside. And he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, oh, I just got an emotional conversation with so-and-so. And um, Something about violins really, yeah, yeah. really touched me. Okay. I'm like waiting in line for the bathroom, like tears, you know, falling down my cheeks. But, and then she had told me, she said, let's, let's keep each other accountable this weekend. Hmm. Um, I'll look over at you and, and you look over at me if you need something. Um, and when I told my partner, he was really supportive and was like, I'm really glad that happened. Like, I'm, I'm so happy that you had that conversation with her. So the universe really does have your back um, if if no one else does. And mm. as far as my partner and I, we're still navigating that. Mm. I think he 
is new to all of this the same way mm-hmm. I was new to all of this two years ago and that there is a world where people don't drink. I, I don't, I think a lot of people our age haven't really experienced that. You you forget when you're in sober Instagram world yeah, and all you see is alcohol-free this, alcohol-free that mm-hmm. and all these sober accounts, but he's, he's, um, he's definitely learning. Hmm. Well, and, and I think one thing that's so interesting is that when people are introduced to the alcohol-free world for the first time, we all go into it with very prescribed views on who who can and can't drink and what it means to be somebody who doesn't drink yep. and to be navigating that narrative and to be changing that narrative in real time. And and I hear you talk about the importance of language and how it's evolving for you and and the experience of your mom's alcoholism, but not necessarily identifying in that way yourself and using words like addiction and and changing the language. And I think when people step into our space and and you're right, it's over Instagram, it's it's such an echo chamber. Yeah. But when people step into our space, they have all of these preconceived notions and, and so much of what we understand this to be is very black and white. We understand it to be deep addiction or completely normal behavior or whatever sort of stereotype we have in our head. And so to to navigate that in addition to navigating your own sobriety in this relationship, I, I can imagine the the contract between the, the social contract between us and a partner is always evolving, but especially when alcohol is in the mix. But, you know, one of the things that I I really like that you've shared is this idea of falling in love in sobriety. And I think a lot of people can't really imagine, especially if they're single, especially if they're young, ever navigating a world where they are dating, where they are, like you said, going out to to bars and kissing people. Yeah. And not drinking. And, and, what has that experience been like for you? Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, I had the worst first sober date ever. I won't go into <laughs> details, but he proceeded to have shots of tequila. I was like, what is going on? There's no way I can do this again. And the truth is, it is possible. And I would say for the most part, and if the person is secure in themselves, they will respect the fact that you are the type of person who's self-aware enough to question your alcohol intake. And Mm -hmm. if to question any of your decisions, if you do something and you think, oh, this doesn't make me feel good. Oh, I don't like who I am when I do this and I'm going to change it. Mm -hmm. It means that you're a driven person. It means that you're a resilient person. It means that you're self-aware it means that you're intentional. And those are all really Mm. wonderful qualities to have in a partner. And so someone who's like, no, I want you to black out and hate (laughs) yourself in the morning is probably not your person. And they're coming out with so many really cool things. Now, um, one of the girls from RPG just went to a speed dating event, but it was Mm. at an alcohol-free store in New York. Wow. said not everyone who came there was like, quote unquote, sober, Mm -hmm. but they all were open to this Mm -hmm. idea. Like, you know, they don't have an issue with alcohol, but open to the idea of someone who is sober, Mm. you know, so things are really changing. There's also a sober dating app that I see ads for Mm -hmm. now. And 
Um, you can put it on your Bumble account if you don't drink mm. or you do drink. And that used to not be a thing. You can actually put the word sober. Mm. So I really think that there's hope for people who are kind of entering the dating world as a sober young person. You're spot on to that the qualities it takes to become a sober person and to to be a sober person, the resilience and in my I see a lot of courage in choosing yeah. to change your relationship with alcohol and I've I've said it before but I believe that sober people are some of the most evolved people I've ever met because it Absolutely. to to really be in it for any amount of time it requires a lot of work which is not always the fun work, but the self-awareness that comes with it and the therapy or the, you know, interpersonal conversations or the heart-to-hearts. And sobriety has been one of the most transformational personal development undertakings I've ever had. And so to have a person that you are dating who has done all that work really speaks volumes to to what they are going to show up as in a relationship. 100% because to be sober, you really have to do some interpersonal work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us have done therapy or therapy is what led us to sobriety or sobriety led us to therapy. And it's why I believe, I mean, I believe in therapy so much, obviously it has changed my (laughs) life. Now it's going to be my career. Um, And that's something my partner says to me all the time. It's like, oh my gosh, like in, in so many words, you are so evolved. Like Mm. you are so intentional. You are so empathetic. You are so understanding. And I'm like, thanks. It's the therapy or thanks. (laughs) It's the variety, you Mm -hmm. know, and it it makes us a better partner and it also enhances our picker. So Mm. red flags are easier to see when you're sober and you can pick a better person. That's more aligned with who you truly are, not who you present to be when you're drinking. Mm, enhances our picker. I like that. That's a, a good enhances our picker. Yes. <laughs> Maybe you need to make your own sober dating app and use that as the tagline. Yes. The picker app. <laughs> yeah, the picker app. So I you've mentioned before that you're in grad school working to become a therapist. Has sobriety been part of your path there or was that always the plan? Sobriety's been part of the path. I think I initially started out wanting to do social work. Um, mm-hmm. but that that's hard work. I really respect <laughs> anyone who is in social work. That's that's really hard, hard work. I always knew I wanted to help people. I think sobriety has really helped me hone in on that. Hmm. It's helped me show up better for the people that I help and will help in the future. I will say going through a program, there isn't enough talk about sobriety and sober communities and addiction and the Mm. spectrum Mm. of addiction. I actually have professors who will make jokes like, oh, when the quarter's done, we'll go grab a beer. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, you know, or I'm in group chats with my cohort, my grad school cohort, and they're like, oh, we're going to have a wasted Wednesday, Mm -hmm. such and such social gathering. And it's like, wow, this should be talked about mm. in especially in these spaces where we're talking about mental health because mm-hmm. we know that drinking really negatively impacts our mental health and can be a catalyst for anxiety, depression, mm. all of the above. So that's fascinating. I've been curious because I I did grad school. I graduated in 2013 and I know what they were teaching us in social work school. I have a social work background. And the only time I ever did a single 
addiction class was a dual diagnosis class. So dual diagnosis means co-occurring mental health and substance use disorder. And the only part of the substance use disorder we were taught was the 12 steps. And in my experience in the field over the last decade, every single resource is for the 12 steps and for outdated language and people like me getting a pass and being a, being missed and falling through the cracks because we're yeah. high performing and and yeah. you know nobody knows we're drinking two bottles of wine every night yeah. and i i've been curious if they're teaching that no. differently but i think the field has a really 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 long way to go in yeah. their understanding of the spectrum and i think that and i'm like put me in the textbook Please yeah. put RPG in the textbook. Yeah. Well, no, but I was just about to say what, what's so encouraging to me is people like you who are in these programs right now and are entering the field as mental health professionals, people like you know. And so people like you can serve people in a very, very different way than kind of this older generation of mental health professionals that's really missing a lot of people. Well, and I also think Instagram is a huge tool. That was mm-hmm. like what really inspired me is I, I found early on Sober Girl Society, who's run by Millie Gooch. Yeah. And I thought, what is – I remember being so excited. And I, I must have bought stickers or something. Mm-hmm. She has um, great pins, I think, too. <laughs> yeah, pins and stickers. And I, and I just thought like, whoa, this is so exciting. And I went on Etsy and I found a shirt that said Sober Babe. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is – cute. Like this is, I can be cute and sober. Um, and that was really what inspired me to make RPG cute mm-hmm. and sober, you know? Um, mm-hmm. so yeah. And Instagram is a huge, huge resource, huge resource. Like we were talking about earlier. Um, it can be a little bit of an echo chamber, but it can be a really safe space mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know that's really where, this all rooted in for me too is connecting with the community and Instagram and realizing yeah. that there are just so many more of us out there that then then we perceive when we are trying to do this on our own or we don't fit in the the regular boxes or we have a path that looks different than the the typical or prescribed one that we are yeah. accustomed to. Exactly. Well, the last question I always ask before we finish these podcasts is if your story were to be published, the story of Tori and alcohol or Tori and sobriety, what would it be titled? The obvious answer is the retired party girl. Um, But I like what we said earlier about, did I say enhance the picker? The (laughs) enhance your picker. Yeah. (laughs) Enhance your picker. Enhance your picker. But it means picker for everything, not Mm. just for romantic partners, but for your friendships, for your life paths, for what you do in a day, for how you take care of yourself, for the things you consume, mm. um, for the life that you want to live. It enhances your picker for literally every single thing that you do in your life. Mm, that discernment of what is and isn't for us. I think that's so good. Absolutely. And and now you need to make a dating app out of it. I'll, <laughs> I'll let you uh, finish grad school first. But Yes, please. Yeah. 20 more days. Well, Tori, Four this has – Oh, okay. All right. Four months and 20 days. Well, we'll wish that into existence a little faster for you. Tori, this has been so wonderful. And I know that this story of being young and fun and in love and exploring a life that 
feels romantic and glamorous without alcohol is something that so many people need to hear and need to have this door open for them. So I really appreciate your story and the time you've taken with us. I know our audience is going to want to connect with you. So how do they find you? How do they connect with you online? Instagram is at the retired party girl. If you'd like to join our community or come to a free first time meeting, it's retiredpartygirl.com slash events. And that's all I have. I have a Twitter if you can find it. <laughs> okay. I don't post on it very much, but if you can find it, go ahead and add me on it. Okay. There you go. There you go. All right, Tori. Well, this has just been really wonderful. So thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story with us. Thank you, Beth. Thank you so much for listening to Sober Stories with me, Beth Bowen, and our guest, Tori Felder. Tori really inspires me with the way she's fighting to make sobriety fun, youthful, and something that gives us so much more than it takes. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you took a second to rate and review Sober Stories wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us tell more stories, reach more people, just one review at a time. And if you had a big aha moment from today's show, we'd love it if you shared it with us on social media. You can find us at We Are Sober Stories on most platforms. Tag us so we can hear your biggest takeaways and you never know when we'll send you a little thank you. I also want to thank our team here at Sober Stories. Alexis Archuleta on the mixing and general podcast genius. Callie Williams is our community and engagement lead. Daniela Marty for graphic design and every single person who has had a hand in what we're building here. Until next week, my friends. Thank you.